I'm Jorge Salazar, reporting from the Texas Advanced Computing Center. Scientists might find a friend in the open source software called Docker. It's a platform that bundles up all the loose ends of applications, the software and dependencies that sustain it, into something fairly light that can run on any system. As more scientists share not only their results, but their data and code, Docker is helping them reproduce the computational analysis behind the results. What's more, Docker is one of the main tools used in the Agave API platform, a platform-as-a-service solution for hybrid cloud computing developed at TAC and funded in part by the National Science Foundation. On the podcast is software developer and researcher Joe Stubbs on the Web and Cloud Services Group at the Texas Advanced Computing Center. Stubbs spoke with me about using Docker for science. Well, Joe, thank you for speaking with us today. Sure, it's my pleasure. So tell us about Docker. What is Docker and what's in it for scientists? Right, okay. So Docker is really a container platform. It's a platform for building, shipping, and executing containers. So really to understand Docker, you kind of have to know a little something about Linux containers. A Linux container... As a nice sort of mental model, you can think of it as a sort of little package for an application. It's a package and an isolation mechanism. So everything that an application needs gets put into this little package, this container. So when the application runs, it runs in this container and it runs in a really isolated way. In a precise sense, we can make that precise. You know, we can say isolated in the network sense, isolated in memory sense, isolated in the file system sense. but The application is isolated from other applications on the host computer that it's running on. What's great about that is that the Docker container becomes independent in a strong sense from anything else, from any sort of external dependencies, if you will. What this means for scientists is that they can basically bundle their scientific application into a Docker container, and then all that anybody needs to run their application is that container. And that container is very easily transported around. It's a single file. It's a single tarball, if you will. So it really cuts down on a lot of effort that is usually put into installing a scientific app, maybe compiling some gnarly dependency or library. But it also gives you the reproducibility. So besides the installation process being this kind of big effort, When you do it from host to host, certain things may change. You may not install the exact right version of dependency X, you know, or you may, instead of installing dependency Y, you may install dependency Y prime, which you don't really notice is different, but it turns out it has a subtle difference in some way. By bundling everything together in one little package, you greatly at least enhance the chances of having exact reproducibility across hosts. So I think those are the two main wins for scientists and probably for everyone really is ease of portability and distribution of a piece of software and greater reproducibility of the results that that software produces. Right. So scientists, um, in theory, can take not only um, the code, but they can take the data and actually run the analysis and verify and reproduce science that another institution, another scientist did. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm a scientist at University A, and I do some great experiment. You know, I do some fantastic computational analysis, and I say, ah, look, you know, I've got the next cure for cancer or whatever. Suffice it to say, there's going to be a lot of other scientists who want to be able to reproduce that, who want to be able to check my work, right? What we're trying to do is lower the barrier to pulling that off. 
when you know installing a bunch of obscure or complicated to compile scientific codes is involved in the installation process, it's just a challenge. It's a challenge to reproduce things. But also, the fact that you might not install things properly might lead to thinking that you haven't reproduced results when, in fact, you just haven't installed the software correctly. So that's the big win, we think. Would you walk us through a little bit about how Docker, how to use it, how to get it? You know, at the end of the day, Docker is itself a container runtime. So you give it containers to run, and it runs them for you. It also has other features, but that's really the primary purpose. So basically, it's an application itself. It's a binary application that you can download from the web. You can download from Docker's website, which is docker.com, I think. So if you're on a Linux distribution, you can use a package manager to install it. And Mac OS X has its own set of installation. But so one way or another, you get this binary application. It's primarily used at the command line. There are a handful of GUI interfaces to it now too, but it's primarily a command line application. And essentially you just feed it commands to run containers. So you say docker run, and then a container, an image. They have this notion of images, which are sort of container templates. You say docker run image, and from that image, it launches a container. And then there are a whole host of other things you can do with the docker binary. Instead of running containers, you can build images, you can inspect containers that are running and and get information about them. There's a whole API that you can use to interact with the ecosystem of containers running on that host. Basically, that's it. You have a a command line tool to use to interact with containers running on your computer. Joe, would you tell us a little bit about your experience using Docker here at TAC uh, with the Agave API? We're, We're sort of using Docker in two main ways. Um, We have an API. It's a hosted cloud distributed system. It's a fairly traditional web-based API. So we package it in Docker. We actually use Docker to deploy Agave itself. End-to-end, all of the components of Agave at this point are Dockerized, as we say. They've been put in Docker containers. And so we deploy, just again, for the simplicity of scaling Agave out so it's a cloud system. It runs on, I think the last time I checked, about 70 VMs. So if we need to move that number up or down, it's really easy to scale out to more VMs. We use it in that way. But then on the scientific side of things, you know, we have a handful of projects that we're working on to actually enable computational science to be done in Docker containers. So we have a workflow system A workflow, very briefly, is just a sort of collection of applications that sort of run together to do some greater task, right? And oftentimes, you know, the outputs of one of the applications will be the inputs to a subsequent application, so there'll be some dependencies. People talk about a directed acyclic graph, a graph of the applications. The applications typically form a graph. And uh, so we have a project called End of Day that basically implements um, support. It's essentially a workflow engine for workflows where the nodes in the graph are Docker containers. So if you have bundled your your scientific codes into containers, you can basically write a nice kind of brief YAML description of the workflow that you want to do. And this project will orchestrate 
the execution of all those containers at the right time and manage the inputs and the outputs in such a way that they're there where they need to be. So we have that project. We have a number of other projects actually that are kind of in beta or some of them are in alpha. So they're early on, but we have a project that essentially enables you to take a legacy data source of of any variety, really. It could be just a, a legacy FTP server, or it could be a, a MySQL database or something. And with just a tiny little bit of code, convert it into a sort of modern Web 2.0, RESTful, JSON in, JSON out web service. And it's all hosted on in the TAC data center. So you write a little bit of code, and you sort of register that little code snippet with our service. Service is called Adama. And Adama takes your code snippet and injects it into a Docker container, spins it up, and handles some of the management of that, brokers requests to and from that, and enables you with a really a very tiny bit of effort to go from some sort of legacy data source to a web 2.0 kind of friendly, restful web service. So yeah, so we have a number of projects like that. We're, we're working on a project to enable sort of just generic, arbitrary compute containers as a service is what we call it. So you register an image that you've built, a Docker image that you've built, this service, it's called Abaco, and then you get basically a URL back for that image that you can then post to, and each post to that URL in turn executes a container on our cloud and it scales so you can post you know a thousand messages and you'll get a thousand container executions and we will scale up behind the scenes to meet that demand and you know we're constantly sort of evolving it but you know our goal is to have sort of sub millisecond execution time on those containers those are some of the projects maybe to touch on something that you talked about earlier virtual machines these vms i mean i guess what you've described sounds a lot different that seems to be like the typical comparison that talker is like a vm right yeah yeah that's an okay you know mental model i suppose to get going but it, it really is important to note that they are very different you know in many ways virtual machines are kind of heavy virtualization they're virtualizing hardware components what's happening at the container model is the virtualization lives at the OS level, at the kernel level. So all the containers running on a given computer share a common Linux kernel and are making system calls at the end of the day to that kernel. So it's a very lightweight virtualization. A commodity server can easily run hundreds of containers simultaneously. Um, Actually, there's a contest right now that Docker is running to see how many web servers a Raspberry Pi 2 can run simultaneously. And it's like 2,400 containers right now. The emphasis really needs to be on, you know, these are very lightweight. And the, the other thing is it's they're, they're single process, ideally. Each container represents a single application, a single process uh, in user space, whereas a virtual machine is a whole well, virtual machine, it's a whole, you know, it's a whole operating system and it's, it's all that comes with that. So while there is, you know, a mental model that can be made, you know, comparison that can be made, they, they really are quite different. Yeah, you're talking about this Raspberry Pi that can run thousands. Would you like to speak more? Um, I guess people listening here know about high performance computing and they want to scale. Um, how well does Docker scale when working with big data? Docker, you know, there's nothing really about Docker that makes it such that it doesn't scale. There is a performance hit to the virtualization across the board, really, but it's very minimal. There was a a paper that um, IBM Research did 
like late 2013, I, I want to say 2014, that compared Docker to traditional hypervisors, so like KVM, I think. The findings were very favorable for Docker containers. You know, you talk to people, you know, really deep in the business and they, they say that, um, well, most, most people point to the network stack as maybe, you know, the, the one place where uh, you can see some performance issues at scale. If your application, if your distributed application does a lot of network traffic, you, you could see some performance issues there. But similarly with the IO, there, there's, um, I think there's some usage patterns that can present some problems um, for performance. Depending on a variety of things, right? I mean, so so Docker itself works out of the box, but can be reconfigured in various ways using different drivers for different components. So it's possible too to tweak that and get better performance. I think the real answer is we we don't know until we really run some of these HPC codes at scale. Uh, so so one sort of deal with Docker at the moment is that it relies on a version of the Linux kernel that has newer features than. Um, some of our traditional HPC systems like Stampede. So we're not currently able to run Docker containers on Stampede, for example, uh, due to the, the limitations in the in the Linux kernel there. Um, so we don't have a lot of experience. So we have basically zero experience running Docker containers on Stampede. And, and I think the next generation of HPC systems like Lone Star 5 will have that yeah. capability. And that's when we're really going to know. That's when we're really going to be able to definitively say, hey, you know, there's really zero impact or negligible impact for HPC. Uh, you know, so some people have, have concerns, um, but my sneaking suspicion is that it's going to be fine. Thanks again. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Joe Stubbs, a research engineering and scientist associate in the Web and Cloud Services Group at TAC. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar.